Hello and welcome to the Two Guys Four Balls podcast. Hello and welcome to the first official Two Guys and Four Balls podcast episode. Today we're going to be talking about the 2022 NFL Draft. Uh, Today on this podcast we're going to be doing a mock draft of where we believe who should be taken. Not what we think is going to happen, but it's a GM exercise as if Julius and myself were GMs and making these picks. Again, this mock draft is not like Mel Kuyper or any of the other experts. This is going to be who we would have chosen if we were on the clock. All right, so uh, what's going to happen is I'm going to do the odd numbers, so 1, 3, 5, 7, etc., and Julius is going to do the even numbers, 2, 4, 6, 8, etc., and uh, we'll just give you who we would have taken in this position and um, and then kind of discuss uh, the picks we feel like we need to discuss. Uh, so first up on the clock is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, I know there's a lot of speculation about Aiden Hutchinson and some other individuals going here, uh, personally, if I was the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'd be I'd be selecting Evan Neal. Um, I think you have your franchise quarterback that you selected, um, and he was getting hit and beat up all last year. Uh, it's kind of like the Joe Burrow effect, right? You need to get an offensive line to protect your quarterback. So for me, um, it was a tough choice. I just think uh, I'm going Evan Neal here in this uh, with this pick. So I like that pick. I like that pick to start off the draft, a good tone-setting pick. I agree with what you said. You got Trevor Lawrence there. Uh, a lot of people have already cooled on him, but you got to give him a fair fighting chance. A part of that is to protect him. So I'm down with the Evan Neal pick there. Now I'm on the clock with the Detroit Lions at number two. Uh, the Lions need a lot of help, and I feel like that's been true for, I don't know, 30, 35 years, but here we are. So, my philosophy is, and you'll hear me say this throughout the football season, safety, a playmaking safety is the most important position for you to cover. So, even though there's a lot of prospects here who are close that are still on the board, the player I'd go with in this spot is Kyle Hamilton, safety out of Notre Dame. I feel like even though his athletic numbers were a bit underwhelming, He's somebody who can come in, play multiple positions, play with good instinct, comes with size, physicality, straight line speed, can attack the line of scrimmage, can make plays instinctively in coverage. That's the guy I'd go with to say, hey, you're the first piece and hopefully, finally, turning it around for the Lions. All right, and with uh, the third selection as the Houston Texans, I want to go with, they uh, They would love this if it happened. Aiden Hutchinson, uh, edge out of Michigan. Uh, I think, again, the Texans, lots of holes. We all know that. Trying to get out of the Des- Deshaun Watson saga. Um, just trying to rebuild whatever type of team they need to rebuild. Uh, they need everything. Uh, and that's not a knock on any of the people in that organization, uh, in that locker room. Uh, they just they just need to do a complete overhaul. So I think they would love if Aiden Hutchinson fell to them. Um, and to kind of go back to your second pick with Kyle Hamilton, I think a lot of people would be surprised by a safety going number two, uh, especially to the Lions. Um, but I, I understand your philosophy, and you need a good, especially in today's NFL, you need coverage, and you need someone on the back end who can make plays happen. So, uh, again, Detroit, if you're picking at the top of this draft, 
every team needs everything, essentially. So uh, I'm not mad at any of the picks that we have here so far. I think you nailed it with your point that every team picking here needs a lot of things. So there's not really a significantly wrong answer, especially because this draft doesn't have that clear-cut number one guy. And that's part of what makes this draft or this exercise so fun for us was the fact that you've got tough decisions between very closely ranked players and, you know, just the most minute of differences can make the overall difference in who you pick. And so now I'm sitting here with the fourth pick and this is a guy who I think is right there neck and neck with Aiden Hutchinson. There may not even be a right or wrong answer with who the better prospect is. I'm going with Kayvon Thibodeau edge rusher out of Oregon for the New York Jets. Again, just like Houston, you need a lot of everything. You need to come in and finally establish a defensive identity. You've got a defensive coach in there. Give him some highly recruited prospects, highly ranked prospects to work with. I like Thibodeau a lot in this draft class because in a a class where most of your rushers are kind of one-year producers, Thibodeau's the one guy who kind of came in right away freshman year and started showing you that production from day one so he's a guy who's whose tape i'm relying on whose resume i'm relying on i know there's concerns about the intangibles with Kayvon Thibodeau i'm not worried about that at all none of that reflects itself in the way he plays i think it would be a great pick if the Jets got him in this spot yeah, I 100% agree with you. If the Jets could land Thibodeau, I think they're going to be ecstatic. You know, uh, I think they're eyeing Hamilton. I hope they. I think they're hoping that he falls to them, especially after trading Adams. Uh, they need to get another piece back there. Um, but I, I definitely, if if Hamilton's off the board, I think I think that they'll definitely go defensive line, uh, maybe offensive line because they got Zach Wilson back there as well. Um, I don't think you can overvalue offensive linemen ever. Uh, I mean, you can pick the wrong offensive lineman. We've seen that, but I don't think you can overvalue them. Um, So with the fifth pick, uh, I got the New York Giants. The NFC East has not been too great at uh, drafting in the recent years, so let's try and change that around. I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass because they have a new GM, a new head coach. Uh, So with the fifth pick, if I was the New York Giants, I would be taking my favorite name in this draft, Ahmad Sauce Gardner. Um, cornerback out of Cincinnati. I think, as he's shown at Cincinnati, I think he can do it in the NFL. I think he is a true lockdown corner. Um, Just, again, watching him at Cincinnati, watching him on tape, watching him, they kind of blew up this year, you know, made made the playoffs. Everyone got to see him on a national stage. Um, I think he's the real deal. And I think New York, you know, they have some, some uh, again, they have issues everywhere. Um, they got a new GM coming in, though. I think if they're not keeping Bradbury, who was a Gettleman guy, I think if they're going to be getting rid of a lot of individuals who were in the old regime with New York, I think this is a great piece to start to build around on the defensive end of the ball, um, you know, depending on what their, what their future is for the offensive side. So I think definitely getting a sauce here would be a great value pick for the Giants. So, yeah, you, you talked about one of the best names in the draft, and I have to agree with you there. I was watching an interview with them, and apparently the full nickname is A1 Sauce Sweet Feet for Ahmad Gardner. So 
This is a guy who brings a lot of swag to the table and for a team that needs a lot of that. I think his personality and his presence on and off the field will be good for that team. So I like the selection there. And like you said, fresh start for the Giants. That would be a great place to start. All right, so now we've reached the sixth pick of the draft, the Carolina Panthers. There's a lot of speculation that they'll go quarterback here. They are desperate. Matt Rule is desperate. Can't blame him. He should be. Uh, I think the Panthers will take Kenny Pickett in this spot uh, based on the, the desperation for a quarterback as well as the pre-existing relationship that Kenny Pickett and Matt Rule have. But, again, this is not about predictions. This is about what we would do. So... With the sixth pick of the 2022 NFL Draft, I'm taking Ika Mukwanu, offensive lineman out of North Carolina State. Now, full disclosure, I'm an NC State alumnus, so I like picking my guy in this spot. But beyond that, when you look at the left side of Carolina's offensive line right now, it looks a mess. Cameron Irving, uh, Pat Fline, these are guys who have been scapegoats in their previous stops in the NFL. And no matter if you draft a new quarterback or if you find miraculously some other quarterback to throw into this spot, they're going to have to protect them better than what Carolina can offer right now. Aquano, you can line him up at tackle. I think that's where he should stay. I think he brings a nasty and authoritative presence to your offensive line. If you feel like you have tackles set, which I don't, but if you feel like you do, you can still slide Aquano inside and he can dominate at the guard spot. So either way, you're getting something out of this pick here. I'm going with fortifying my offensive line for whatever quarterback may be there this year, next year, whenever. But Aquan is the pick for me for Carolina at six. Yeah, I can't express to you how much uh, Neil and Aquanu are 1A, 1B, 1A, 1A uh, tackles here in this draft. Um, I don't know why. I guess it's just the SEC bias, even though I'm not an SEC guy. Uh, you know, the defensive linemen and just the athletes that come out on the defensive side of the ball uh, from that conference just has Evan Neal a little bit higher for me. I don't think there's a wrong answer, though. Like you said, I think both tackles are going to be studs in the NFL. Um, and I like that pick a lot. I'm with you, though. Uh, Panthers sitting at six. If they're not, If they do not trade out of that pick or if someone does not trade above to jump them, I definitely think they're taking quarterback. I, I think it, that's a desperate. They lost the Deshaun Watson, you know, lottery. They did not get anybody else unless they're going to be in play for Baker. Um, who knows? Uh, I unless someone jumps them and takes their guy, I I definitely think they are taking a quarterback in that in that uh, position. All right. So moving on to number seven uh, again, New York Giants. This is from the Bears. They're sitting at seven. And if this happened, I think they would be loving life. Um, I would, if, if the way the draft's panning out right now, for me, at seven, I would take Trayvon Walker, uh, defensive lineman out of Georgia. Um, there's a lot of talks that he could be one, two um, in the draft. Uh, his stock definitely rose a lot um, in the Latin months leading up to the draft. Uh, I think that he's a high motor, uh, just won't stop kind of guy. And I think, again, the Giants need to just redo everything on their organization in their locker room. Um, again, not trying to take anything away from the guys on the field. Um, I just think they just need to get in high character guys, guys that um, like when they drafted J Jason Pierre-Paul, JPP, when they had 
um, Strahan, when they had that defensive line, they need to get back to those years where um, you know they had really good corners, um, they had the good you know defensive line, and that kind of that defense kind of ran the team for many many years. Um, and and you know if you get consistent solid quarterback play, you know maybe you make a run in the NFC East. The NFC East is up for grabs. Um, and I just think that if they could get Sauce and Walker five seven, I think that I think they they win the draft right there. Just the top the, the first two picks. Um, I do, however, think that these picks are also up for trades because the Giants need so much. I would not be shocked if the Saints or someone else uh, eye these picks, especially since five is right above Carolina. Um, to try and move up and make something happen. And then if the Giants could secure three, four, five first-round picks in this draft, maybe next year, I could definitely see that happening. You made a couple of really great points there, Patrick. Um, one, being able to bring in Trayvon Walker and kind of reestablish the identity you once had in your, I hate to say it, but glory days from you know, 10, 15 years ago. I think making these moves defensively would be huge for the Giants in this spot. And, you know, I just want to take a moment to talk about, you know, we saw one of the most dominant defenses that I've seen since since defense started being banned, basically, in, in football, in this Georgia defense this past season. And out of a defense which was basically an NFL defense, for Trayvon Walker, out of that group, and we're going to talk about some special Georgia players on defense as we go throughout this exercise, for Walker to be the guy who's standing out to scouts, the scouts the most, to him, for him to be the guy who they're looking at and saying, that guy at number one, that guy at number two, potentially, it just says a lot about the presence that he brings to the table. Um, the other point you made that I like is that it's going to be a bit surprising if the Giants keep the fifth and seventh pick because you've got teams lurking. You've got teams desperate. We've talked about how this is kind of a nah, quarterback class, but we know when it comes down to it on draft night, all of a sudden a nah, quarterback class becomes a great quarterback class and teams draft accordingly. So it would not be a surprise for the Giants to move down from either one of these spots and get a surprising big offer from somebody to move up. I wanted to touch on that. So now we've come to the eighth pick. The Atlanta Falcons are on the clock. This is a team, again, that could be looking quarterback, depending on what happens in front of them, who moves, who stays. For me, I look at this wide receiver room, and unless Calvin Ridley somehow gets unsuspended, this wide receiver core is one of the worst I've seen in my life. None of these guys should be starters. None of these guys should be the third receiver. It, it, it's bad. Any quarterback you put in this spot is going to need somebody to throw to. So even if Marcus Mariota is not the future answer, you might as well get a weapon here because a weapon here will at least have a chance to develop in the league. Then when you do find your starter, maybe in 2023 or whenever, he'll at least have something to throw to. So with this pick, the Atlanta Falcons select Drake London, wide receiver out of USC, I'm taking him because I think he's the best receiver in this class. Big body, excellent body control, uh, secure hands, catches tightly contested passes all the time. And one thing I like about London is he gives quarterbacks a margin of error. I talk about that with receivers a lot. You don't have to throw perfect passes to Drake London. He'll even go up and snatch them. So I think that's going to help Mariota this year in the short term. And whoever their long-term answer is, they're going to want to throw the ball to Drake London too. 
Yeah, you make a great point about uh, the Atlanta Falcons and their wide receiver room. Uh, and that's nothing to take away from the guys in that wide receiver. You know, they're drafted, they're picked up, they're traded. They can only do what they can do uh, when they're in that room. Ridley being suspended definitely is going to hurt. No more Matt Ryan. Um, Atlanta's in a full rebuild, and if they're not, they should be because Tampa Bay is going to run that division this year, you know, uh, until Tom Brady retires. Again, maybe. Who knows? Um it is interesting that, you know, he's the first, um, not first offensive guy because some tackles have gone, but first offensive skill position to go. Um, I don't think a lot of people have that on their boards, but I'm with you. Atlanta needs athletic playmaking individuals. They got pits, and that is about their offense. Cordell Patterson did great last year. I don't know if his body can hold up being a running back full-time. I mean, it did last year, and again, Great fantasy player, the sleeper of the draft last year for a lot of people, won a lot of people money. Um, but they need they need some playmakers, and that's on both sides of the ball. Looks like they hit a home run with their corner um, from Clemson a few years ago, and that's great. But they just need A.J. Terrell. That was the name I was looking for. And um, they, they just need a lot. So I think getting Drake London there would be great for them. Um, so I have the ninth pick, which is going to be the Seattle Seahawks from Denver and the Russell Wilson trade. Um, and normally in drafts and mock drafts, I'm the type of guy that is you take the best player available. And for me right now on my board, that's Jordan Davis. I just think Jordan Davis is going to be a beast in the NFL. I know a lot of people don't have him rated uh, high on the boards in terms of where he's being drafted. I think he might be the best player in this draft. I just... I know he doesn't have the big sack numbers, but Jordan Davis is just a run-stopping, just machine. Um, he might be my favorite player in this draft. So if I was Seattle and if, if I was a GM, I would be taking Jordan Davis here. But to try and make this a little bit more realistic of a mock draft, I looked at Seattle's needs. They are definitely in full rebuild mode after Wagner, uh, probably the greatest middle linebacker for that organization ever, maybe one of the greatest middle linebackers of all time gone uh russell wilson your cornerstone quarterback gone um you know your wide receiver room getting upset with you so you know we'll see what happens i think here at number nine i would take malik willis the quarterback out of liberty i just think it's a perfect fit for seattle i think it's a perfect fit for uh if if pete carroll is staying the coach which uh personally uh you know julius and i have had these conversations offline I think it's time to shake things up, kind of like with Andy Reid and Philly. I think Pete Carroll's voice is kind of just—he's there. They won a championship. They've been to a super. They've been to Super Bowls. I think it's just kind of like it's time to get fresh blood into that organization. That's nothing to take away from Pete Carroll. He's done a great job since he came into the NFL, unlike a lot of other college coaches. Um, but I just think it's time for some fresh, a fresh voice in that organization. Uh, for considering Pete, but Malik Willis would be my pick here. Again, I think he fits this organization perfectly. Uh, look what they did with Russell Wilson, taking him in the third round, developing him, bringing him along, putting pieces around him. Um, I think Malik Willis uh, definitely would be a great pick here. Uh, let him sit a year, maybe play second half of the year. I think he would fit perfectly with the Seattle organization. I like everything you said there. Uh, you brought up Jordan Davis. I'll hold my thoughts on Davis until he comes off the board, which uh, won't be too much longer for those keeping track. But uh, with Malik Willis here, I like the pick because, you know, you see the raw talent there. You see the fact that he, he runs like a running back. I mean, this, this guy can 
get yards on his own, and he's got the cannon arm. There's a bunch of raw potential there that you just can't find from just from any random quarterback. And I know there's questions with Willis about, you know, how good is he going to be, you know, be win against a weak level of comp- competition after he left Auburn and went to Liberty. There's questions about the accuracy, of course, and everything else. But I'll say this about Willis. There's a chance Willis might not be good, but there's a ch- chance that Willis can be good, can be better than good. And what we know is that the guys that Seattle has now, <laughs> Drew Locke, Geno Smith, we know they're not good. So I'll take might be good over definitely isn't good. So for that reason alone, I'm with you on the Malik Willis election here. So now we're back to the Jets. And uh, when we were talking about the Jets' first pick in this exercise with Kayvon Thibodeau, you brought up the point that one thing the Jets are going to want to do is address the offensive line. Zach Wilson's a raw quarterback. He's going to need to be insulated as much as you can insulate him. He's going to need as much time in the pocket as you can give him because he's still really learning on the fly. He was thrown out there before he was ready and before this roster was ready to support a rookie quarterback. So now you've got to help him out. And with this pick, I'm taking Charles Cross, the offensive tackle out of Mississippi. He's the best pure pass blocker in this draft. He plays a little finesse, but he will get the job done in pass protection. And if you're looking to protect your main asset, which was the guy who was the second overall pick in the draft last year, you've got to give Zach Wilson a fighting chance. And to give him a fighting chance, that means he has to actually be standing up at the end of a few plays. So Charles Cross helps that happen. I throw him in there right away and say, hey, give our guy a chance here. Makai Becton, there's questions about whether or not he's going to continue to translate as a left tackle. You might have to end up finding a new solution there. You might have to move back to over on the offensive line. So Charles Cross can come in, play either side, play tackle. And I think he is a key piece for getting Zach Wilson upright and getting his confidence going again. Before I get to the 11th pick uh, with another NFC East team, the Washington Commanders, hooray, that dumpster fire of an organization, um, yeah, I just want to talk about the Malik Wilson. You brought up a good point saying that he has the raw talent and that he can be really, really good. The thing that makes me the most frustrated about whenever people are judging quarterbacks and evaluating their talent, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, Eastern Illinois, did not get the, you know, he had the lower level of talent. He played against weaker divisions. Uh, Carson Wentz, you know, when he went to North Dakota State, no one was saying, they were talking about, look how good he can run. Look how hard he can throw the ball. Josh Allen at, Wy- at Wyoming. Why is it when we talk about quarterbacks, it always comes down to their skin color, and that pisses me off. It's 2022. Why are we still saying Malik Willis may or may not be good in the NFL? Guess what? Every quarterback may or may not be good in the NFL. Look at all these idiots who took Mitchell Trubisky, over Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, how is he not the first pick in that draft? Why? In my opinion, it's because he's a black quarterback. He went to two national championship games. He beat Alabama. Name me a white quarterback who's going to two national championship games, Heisman Trophy, you know, voter, vote-getter, that's not going number one overall. Mitchell Trubisky went second overall. No Heisman votes. And if he had some, maybe I'm tripping, but I don't care. He did not go to national championship games. 
He didn't beat Alabama, who was unbeatable. He didn't break up that dynasty. He did not bring Clemson into the forefront of everyone knows who Clemson is. Trevor Lawrence ain't going to Clemson if it's not for Deshaun Watson? Come on. So, Malik Willis, yes, he may be good. He may be bad. I think the only reason he gets a bad rap is the same reason Cam Newton gets crushed in the media. And and I'm not saying Cam Newton is still an all-star caliber quarterback because he's not. But in, early in his career, the man won MVP. The man took the Panthers to the Super Bowl. So let's not act like he was a bum. And, you know, it's just Aaron Rodgers, you know, he gets all the love in the media. He's one of the most cockiest quarterbacks I've ever seen play in the NFL. Can you imagine if that was Cam Newton, if that was Lamar Jackson, if that was any, if that was Patrick Mahomes? Come on, man. I'm just, I'm just tired of it. It's 2022. We should not be doing this anymore. Malik Willis, I hope he has a great career because guess what? Baker Mayfield has got multiple choices, uh, chances. Sam Darnold has gotten multiple chances. You know who else is still in the NFL? And in his very first game in relief of Matt Ryan, threw a pick six? Josh Rosen, who went above Lamar Jackson. So don't tell me it's not about skin color and when it is. Why are the black quarterbacks the ones who... Do we know how well they can take this Wonderlick test? How can they read defenses? It doesn't matter. We've seen Michael Vick succeed in the NFL. We've seen Cam Newton succeed in the NFL. Lamar Jackson succeeds in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes succeeds in the NFL. We really need to stop this. Whatever this is, I mean, I know what it is. It's racism. Let's just say what it is, what it is. What it is the racism. We need to stop it. It's the same reason that Brian Flores, the team fought for him after being down 1-7, to almost make the playoffs and he gets fired. It's the same reason Mike Tomlin is the longest tenured black head coach in the NFL. We could talk about this for hours. I could talk about this for days. I'm not going to harp on it much more. But the fact that Malik Willis is getting the what if because he played at a small school is BS to me because there's been multiple dudes drafted from small schools at quarterback recently and no one has said the same thing about it. So I just want to nip that in the bud while we're talking about this because that's not going to happen on this podcast. You know, Patrick, I appreciate you for, you know, taking the time out to to make that point um, about Malik Willis and the greater point about what black quarterbacks are still facing in 2022. And I, I think it carries more weight when someone who is white is making those statements because, you know, you don't want to just look like, oh, I'm just defending him just because he looks like me or something like that. It's a problem for everybody. And touching on your point, I think it's a shame when a Lamar Jackson or a Malik Willis this year goes to the combine and they are hesitant to even test athletically because they know, because of how I look, the thought is you should play another position. Even though I've demonstrated that I can throw the ball, even though I've demonstrated that I can move an offense, run a huddle, all of these things, I'm still scared because if I show that I can run a 4-4, you're going to try to make me a running back or wide receiver or something else. If, Like you said, if, if a Josh Allen or somebody shows that they can run fast, there's no talk of, well, he should switch positions. No. He, he knows. No matter what I run, I can run a 4-2. They're not going to put me at another position. And I just think that, you know, the, the black quarterbacks have to be able to be just looked at as, as quarterbacks. That, that, that's all we ask. Are there bad black quarterbacks? Yes. 
You know, with somebody like Deshaun Kaiser was somebody I was not high on coming out of college. I'm not here to tell you every black quarterback is great. But what I am here to say is when you start getting this lazy analysis, when every time a quarterback looks a certain way, the thought is, does he have the IQ? Like you said, can he read defenses? You don't get this far without being able to read a defense. I could see if they were running a triple option in college and throwing two or three passes a game. But when you're running legitimate spread offenses, which is what college and the NFL is now, you've got to be able to at least read something. And so I don't like hearing Lamar Jackson can't read defenses after he won NFL MVP. <laughs> it just makes no sense. So it's the questioning of the mental capacity, which is what you never see. If a white quarterback struggles, you almost never hear it's because he can't read defenses. It might be because he has athletic limitations. It might be because he didn't have the right personnel around him. There's always a different reason, but it's never because of his mental capacity. And I do want us to get to a point where we at least respect that these black quarterbacks are coming in and they have just as much IQ, just as much mental knowledge as their counterparts on the, on the white side. And that you can be both athletic and smart. That, that is possible. Uh, so, you know, again, I appreciate you for taking the point out to say that. I get tired of it, too, because, again, I think Malik Willis is a raw prospect, but there are raw prospects who are white as well, and that's okay. But we don't have to emphasize it every time a quarterback looks a certain way. I'm with you 100% on that. All right, guys. So back to the mock draft. Um, again, that's one of my biggest pet peeves. It has been for years um, since I've pretty much been alive. So um, it's ridiculous to me, and you know I won't harp on it much more in this in this episode at least. But yeah. So if if Darnold, Rosen, all those guys, there's more guys in the in the league. Those are just the two that are at my forefront of my mind right now. If they can stay in the NFL. You know, other guys should have more opportunities. But anyway, back to the draft. Uh, with the 11th pick, the Washington Commanders are going to take Chris Olave, wide receiver from Ohio State. Um, once again, NFC East theme. There's a lot to be built around. There's a lot that needs to happen. Um, this organization has seen a lot of things happened to it in the last few years. Um, I think Dan Snyder is one of the worst owners in the NFL. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who agree with me um, about that. Uh, just what he has done to that organization, in my opinion, is one of the worst things that could have happened to the NFL. It was a very proud organization, at least was competitive, uh, you know, had a couple Super Bowls there in the late 80s, early 90s, um, you know, and at least were talked about. And now it's kind of, they're kind of a laughing stock changing logos, changing names, um, which I'm not going to get into that, but and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that the organization is being talked about for other things other than football. Um, so I think this pick will hopefully get them, you know, get Terry McLaurin happy. Um, you know, if Wentz is the answer long-term there, you know, just another target for him. Uh, you got Antonio Gibson in the backfield, uh, you know, who is a good playmaker out the backfield as well. And I think that this will just help solidify an offense that, you know, two years ago the defense was talked about. Chase Young, all these guys making plays, and they kind of took a step back last year. So the offense needs to help out the defense. Um, you can't win a championship with just a great offense. You ask Peyton Manning. You can't win a championship with just a great defense. 
unless you're the Ravens, ask Trent Dilfer. Um, but uh, so I think that this would be a really good pick for uh, the commanders here in this in this uh, slot. So, yeah, I mean, I talked a little bit earlier about defense basically being banned, but I talked about the great Georgia defense and we're seeing more and more in that of that in the college and the NFL level where, you know, defense is becoming harder and harder to be a defensive based team or a defense only team and win. And so you did talk about the Ravens and it's like, you know, that was a whole generation ago with Trent Dilfer. So I don't know in this NFL, those Ravens could win a Super Bowl because you got to be able to put up at least 20 points these days. So I like the fact that you're going offense for the commanders. I think they do believe in Carson Wentz. They went out of their way to get him even after the one coach in the league who kind of still had his back publicly kind of gave up on him. So for the commanders to make that move and, like again, to go out of their way to do it, that lets me know they, they want this to work. They have an investment here. Now, not a huge investment, but they have something of an investment. And I think when you invest in a quarterback like that, you got to get him some help. So Olave makes a lot of sense there. Now we're at the 12th pick. This is the Minnesota Vikings on the clock. And I am going to get just a tad bit controversial here with this pick. This is a my personal board selection here. Um, we all agree pretty much that the Vikings still need help in the secondary, despite the fact that it seems like every year they spend a first-round pick on a corner. So it's just a matter of who goes in this spot. And for me, I'm taking Trent McDuffie, corner out of Washington. In my opinion, he is right there neck and neck with Sauce Gardner to be the top corner in this class. He is one of my absolute favorite prospects in this class. A slight bit undersized, but he's feisty. You don't notice him being undersized in coverage, even when he goes against bigger receivers. I like that he sticks in coverage, and I think he can be a kind of guy who can ultimately take on most teams' number one receivers moving forward, and the Vikings have needed that guy for a while now. So I think you bring in Trent McDuffie. Again, there's at least one corner on this board who most may consider to be better, but McDuffie, when I watch the tape, is the guy I like the most. So this is personal choice here, but I understand if the Vikings went with a different corner in this spot. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that would be a controversial pick here. Um, I also like Trent McDuffie. I'm big on corners. I'm big on secondary. I think I know people love defensive linemen and getting after the quarterback. Um, but, you know, if even now in today's game, there's so many quick screens, so many of this Andy Reid, Tyreek Hill type offenses that you need someone who can make a tackle. You need someone who can stick to their guy running full speed behind the line of scrimmage uh, to, to get an easy touchdown in the red zone. Um, and I think McDuffie can do that. I think in the Vikings zone scheme that Zimmer likes to run, I think he'd be a good fit there as well. Um, I think he can play both man and zone really well. Um, and, you know, at 13, my pick for the Houston Texans uh, coming from Cleveland and the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, um, I think the Houston Texans would be happy because I would be taking Derek Stingley Jr., the corner from LSU, um, and if they could get Aiden Hutchinson and Stanley Jr. in the same draft, uh, I think that organization would be more than pleased uh, with with what they've come away with. Um, you know, again, I I think the top three corners in this draft, uh, Sauce, Stingley, and McDuffie. Um, again, I think Sauce is the best personally. I think he is number one, but then I think behind him, I think it's like 
2A, 2B, you know, however you want to put it. Um, I think there are a lot of other good corners as well. Um, I think Elam from Florida. Um, you got the guy from Clemson. Uh, you got a couple other corners that I think could also go in the first round and also are going to be good NFL corners. Um, I just think that, you know, Sauce, McDuffie, and Stingley definitely uh, stand out above the rest and um, may not be – Sauce is definitely, in my opinion, going to be a lockdown corner. Um, Stingley and McDuffie, I think, have the abilities to be lockdown corners in the NFL. And it, it, once again, you hit it right on the head. So, again, when I talked about being a controversial pick with McDuffie, that's because I knew Derek Stingley Jr. was still on the board. He's going to be um, a more highly regarded prospect than McDuffie on most boards, and I understand that. And with Stingley, the, really the only thing that held him back is health. If Stingley stays healthy, then we're, we're talking about a guy that has the potential to be a generational type of corner. So you're absolutely right. If, if the Texans can walk away with Hutchinson and Stingley under this draft, they'll take that and they'll pack up for the night and sleep well. So <laughs> I like that move for them. Now we're at the 14th pick. We've got the Baltimore Ravens on the clock, uh, picking a little higher than they're used to picking. This team has a few weaknesses, but when you really looked at this team last year, they really, and even factoring in the injuries, I mean, no team had worse injury luck last year than the Ravens, but even factoring that in, there were times last year where they did not look like an NFL defense, and I don't know if I think I would ever have said that about this Baltimore Ravens franchise just based on their history. So to see them get destroyed time and time again last year, to see Joe Burrow almost put himself in the Hall of Fame based off of two games against that defense last year, it, it was scary to see. Uh, what was happening in Baltimore. And I got a newsflash for the Ravens. That Cincinnati offense isn't going anywhere. So you better be able to at least slow them down, to at least be able to keep Jamar Chase under 200 yards, to keep Joe Burrow under 500. And to do that, or to help do that, I'm taking Jermaine Johnson II, edge rusher out of Florida State here. You've got to be able to put some kind of pressure on the quarterback. And the Ravens, they took Jay, uh, Odafe, formerly Jason Owe, last year in the first round. He's wrong. He may or may not come around. But even if he does, you can't just have one guy, one, again, raw guy at that. Johnson, to me, already looks like a more refined rusher than Owe. And they just have got to get multiple guys who can get to the quarterback. And again, it's weird saying this about the Ravens, but they need a lot of defensive help. So I'm going best defensive player on the board as far as edge rush defensive player. And I'm going Jermaine Johnson here to give some juice to a pass rush that is sorely lacking right now. Yeah, again, Jermaine Johnson, if he falls to 14, the Ravens will be ecstatic. I, I know a lot of uh, other mock drafts have him going top five, potentially top seven. Um, again, I think just looking at our mock draft, which we will be posting on our uh, Facebook page, Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. Um, I, I don't think there's any wrong answers here, you know, besides somebody maybe mad at Malik Willis, even though I think he's going to go top 10 because I think Seattle's going to take him. Maybe Trent McDuffie people being mad about, but I just don't think there has been one really bad pick uh, so far, personally. Um, and that's the great thing about these mock drafts, right? You have all these experts trying to tell us who's going to take who. And, you know, 
there's no schooling for you know like most of these guys who are talking about aren't scouts, right? Like they're not good, they're not scouts. They're just they're like guys like Julius and myself who just love sports, watch sports, watch a lot of college football, um, can do the eye test just like everybody else. Um, so, you know, and if we do hit in the, <laughs> some of our picks, you know, we can come back and listen to this podcast, and we can always come back and see it. So it's going to be great to see uh, what what happens here. So 15, another NFC East franchise for myself, the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, you know, I don't want to take a wide receiver with this pick uh, because uh, I would probably take the right one, uh, and they're, they're known for taking the wrong one. So um, if I'm sitting here at 15 and I'm the Eagles and Jordan Davis is on the board, I'm taking Jordan Davis. Uh, Davis a tackle from Georgia. Again, I brought him up earlier. He, he's probably my favorite prospect in this draft. I just think he's going to dominate um, offensive lines. I think he's going to be a run stopper. Um, and I think he would fit well in that scheme. Um, I think he fits well in any scheme. But I just think, you know, uh, the Eagles, when they won their championship, even though I know that that Super Bowl was a high-scoring Super Bowl, the play that sealed the Super Bowl was a strip sack fumble of Tom Brady. Um and they had Nick Foles running the offense. Again, I know there was a lot of points scored, but that defense that year really helped the Eagles out as well. Um, so I think them getting Jordan Davis to just clog up the middle, I think it would be a great pick for the Eagles here. I look at the Eagles draft capital this year and next year, and they've got a lot of picks. They came into this draft with a lot of picks. Then they make a trade with New Orleans, and they get more picks. So this is a team in the Eagles that really has the luxury of being able to look at the board and say, you know what, let's get the best guy. Even if he's not at the number one position of need, let's get the best guy because we've got so many picks. We can still fill needs, but let's get talent on this team. So I love the Jordan Davis pick because, to me, he is the best overall prospect on the board at this point. And with the Eagles, again, with them having so many picks, you just take talent and you just keep trying to stack as much talent as you can. A guy like Jordan Davis helps the entire front seven. It keeps other defensive linemen from getting double teamed. It helps keep linebackers clean. Davis is not going to put up monster stats, but he's going to have a monster impact. Good luck moving him out of the way. And oh, by the way, he can chase you down from behind at 6'6", 340 pounds. That's just scary. So now we're going to go over to the New Orleans Saints at pick 16. I'm going to preface this by saying that the Saints, we talked about this a bit earlier, it'd be a bit surprising if they stood pat here. If they did, it it would just, I would question why they made the moves they made to get in a position to have picks at 16 to 19 if they don't move up. But for now, we're going to pretend that New Orleans is going to stay in place. And if they do, and the board breaks the way it has so far, with the 16th pick, the New Orleans Saints will take Garrett Wilson, wide receiver, out of Ohio State. Bottom line here is, you look at the receivers for the Saints, there's just not much to be afraid of, particularly if Michael Thomas either doesn't show up or demands a trade or whatever's going on there. There's clearly a fractured relationship there. If Thomas shows up, great. You probably still need at least one more guy. Marquez Callaway has shown some things, but you still need one more reliable guy in that offense as far as I'm concerned. And so 
you're at a point now where Garrett Wilson becomes something of a value here. I think he's one of the top 10 or 12 overall prospects in this class. So if you see him slip a bit, this is a good spot to grab him. You get a guy who has an excellent combination of pure athleticism and refinement to his game. He can attack a defense at every level of the field. And I just like his overall ability in this spot. I think he would do well in a position where he's kind of more of a 1A wide receiver as opposed to a pure 1 in the NFL. I think he can be that with the Saints. And I think this would tremendously help open up an offense that for the last couple of years has looked stunningly conservative in the passing game. It's funny that uh, you had another NFC South team and uh, kind of harping on the same thing, wide receivers, right? Uh, it's just funny that it seems like each conference kind of has their own little holes that they need to fill for each team, which is just kind of funny. Um, so 17th, Los Angeles Chargers. I know that they are praying and hoping that Jordan Davis falls to them because that defense needs some serious help. Um, I think their back is getting really good. Their secondary, you know, um, they were lucky that Derwin James fell to them <laughs> a couple years ago. He just needs to stay healthy. You can see the impact he makes when he's healthy. Um, they got Asante Samuel Jr. Um, you know, he's great corner, I think, as well. I think they go. I think they, I think they could draft another corner here. Honestly, if they wanted to try and lock down that secondary, uh, especially in the division that they play in, so I wouldn't be surprised if they're looking at Andrew Booth Jr. or if they're looking at Kyir Elam here. Um, but for me. Again, I talk about this with Trevor Lawrence. Talk about this with Zach Wilson. We talk about this with all the quarterbacks. Um, you got to protect your quarterbacks. And if Justin Herbert can stay standing and not have to be on the move, which again he's great on the run as well, um, you know, I think you need to protect him. And I think he took a lot of hits last year as well. Uh, and the defenses aren't that great in the AFC West. So for him to be taken, besides the Broncos, I think the Broncos have a stellar defense. Um, he took a lot of hits, though. Uh, so for me, in this pick with 17, I would be taking Trevor Pinning, offensive lineman from Northern Iowa here, uh, just to protect Herbert. Made a couple of great points about the Chargers, Boston there. One, they got gashed time and time again up the middle. So you made a great point of if they could get Jordan Davis. I mean, this is a team that they got beat bad enough going up the middle that they, they might make a move up for Jordan Davis if they see him start to slide, just to make sure. But uh, one thing they've prioritized the last couple of years and we've been seeing a bit of a theme here protect the young quarterback so last year you go and get Rashawn Slater you go and make moves in free agency to shore up the offensive line you still don't have a perfect offensive line but it's much better than it was a couple of years ago so you might see this team continue to build and take a guy like Trevor Penning who brings a, a different kind of presence again that, that toughness and physicality a bit of, bit of nasty to him to the offensive line and I think you need that for a Chargers team that can get a little finesse at times so that's a good pick there. We are back to the Philadelphia Eagles on the clock at 18. This time I get to go NFC East. And the Eagles get another one of those teams where you feel like every single time you get to this time of year, certain teams have the same needs. We talked about the Vikings earlier. They just seem to need corners every single year. When you look at the Eagles, every year, they need wide receivers and corners. I, I, don't, I don't know how you're sure on both every year, especially a pass-happy league. I don't know how you think you're going to survive. But they're short on receivers and corners, it seems like, every year. I look at the receivers they have now, and you talked about how you didn't want to take a receiver at 15. I don't want to take a receiver here either just because their receiver core is still so young. They need receivers, but to me they need 
some type of veteran presence on that team. So getting a rookie here, especially with uh, most of the top rookies off the board, I didn't want to make that move here. So I'm going over to the defensive side, and with the 18th pick, the Philadelphia Eagles would take Andrew Booth Jr., corner out of Clemson. And, again, I just think the Eagles need help in the secondary. I think they've got, of course, a great corner in Darius Slade Jr., but you need more than one, and especially if you're going to survive in today's NFL. So Andrew Booth is a guy I look at and say, great in coverage, does a nice job playing the ball in the air. He will attack the ball aggressively, but still plays a pretty disciplined form of coverage. So I think you put him in there, you put him across from Darius Slay. Now we're talking about a secondary that can at least more often than not start to slow teams down some. So I think that would be a great selection for the Eagles in this spot. Yeah, I'm with you. Eagles, as we've said with most NFC's teams, they, they weren't very good last year. Um, probably the worst division in football last year. And um, they need a lot. And I, I like Booth Jr. Like I said, I think there's a lot of good corners in this draft. Uh, I think this is a very deep draft with a lot of good to great players. I don't know if there's one outstanding player in my mind. It's, again, besides Jordan Davis. But I feel like the stats and analytics people do not like him because, like you said, he's not putting up big numbers. But I think he just has that presence that he could be just an anchor on a line for any team. Um, besides him, I think there's just a lot of there's a lot of great, good to great players, and there's a potential for a lot of these players to become superstars. Um, so back to the New Orleans Saints at 19. Again, I don't think this is going to happen, um, but the Saints don't make the moves that they made to sit there at 16 and 19. They just don't. It's, it's, if they do, if they did it, I don't. I don't understand why. I know I'm not GM. I know I'm not Mel Kiper. You know, I know I'm not on ESPN or Fox, and I don't care what anyone really thinks of my opinion right now, but it doesn't make any sense for them to make the moves that they made to sit here. So with 19, I'm taking Kenny Pickett, uh, quarterback out of Pitt, Pittsburgh. Um, again, I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to move up, and I think they're going to move up to try and get Malik Willis. Um, I think pairing him behind James Winston – um, kind of maybe maybe he could sit behind him for a year. Maybe Winston's not healthy enough to come back and start. I think, you know, it would be um, new head coach with the Saints. I know he was their defensive coordinator. I know he's been in the organization. But maybe it's time to kind of start a new chapter. Does Michael Thomas come back? Who knows? Um, let's, let's get our franchise quarterback, if that's who they believe is in this draft. Um, so, yeah, so for me, um, Kenny Pickett, again, I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're moving. Um, if they don't, I will. my mind will be blown if they do not make a move. Yeah, to your point, I feel the same way uh, as far as the moves they've made so far. I don't see why a month before the draft you would say, you know what, we need, we need two picks exactly between 15 and 20 because we, we know what's going to happen. And in a class that has no definitive number one prospect, let alone a definitive board, really, that you're going to get two top 20 picks that are after 15 just because. That, that makes no sense. I'm with you 100%. So I expect a move to be made if somehow they get stuck at 19. A quarterback, whichever quarterback falls there, would make sense. I am a believer that there's a bit too much being made about Kenny Pickett and hand size and all this other stuff. I know he's had fumbles and things of that nature, but when you go back and you look at the history of quarterbacks and how 
hand size is correlated with performance, there's not really much of a correlation. When you see that Jim Drunken Miller has the highest measured hands, the biggest measured hands in NFL history, did that help him? Do you know who Jim Drunken Miller is? I don't blame you if you don't. So I'm not worried about hand size. You go get the guy that you like. Kenny Pickett on tape is probably the most ready to start day one. Don't let his hands be the reason you don't take him. So with that said, we are on to another team that could possibly look at moving up to get a quarterback in the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think they're behind the eight ball because they don't have the ammo that a team like New Orleans has to move up. So Pittsburgh may or may not be able to go steal a quarterback of their choice. They might be stuck here. And I also think Pittsburgh kind of likes Trubisky. I don't think that this is a marriage, but I think that this is dating seriously. So I don't think that they're desperate for a quarterback like some other teams in this draft are. I do look at the Steelers and think they want to reestablish a certain identity. And so with this pick, at pick 20, the Pittsburgh Steelers select Kenyon Green, offensive lineman out of Texas A&M. So you have versatility here, a guy who can play inside and outside, and you have one of the premier run blockers in this draft. This might be a little bit high for Kenyon Green, but I don't mind that because I think if you're the Steelers, when you look at the way they played their offense last year, it was Najee Harris, Najee Harris, and we want to switch it up, Najee Harris. That's what their offense looked like. So you are going to want to put a line in front of him because I don't think his involvement in offense is going to go down. I mean, they made him the centerpiece of the offense from day one. So he's only going to be up. More, more of a focal point of the offense moving forward, you might as well put some guys in front of them that can move people out of the way and give Harris some running lanes to go and reestablish what the Steelers have always wanted to be, which is a smash-mouth offense. I think Tomlin wants to get back to that. I think he showed that last year. I think that continues, and I think they fortify the offensive line here to try to get back to old-school Steeler football. I'm with you 100% with the Steelers. Um, you know, Tomlin, amazing record. You know, no losing records since he's been a head coach. I have the utmost respect for him. I think he's one of the greatest coaches of all time. Um, and I, I'm with you. I think I think they like Trubisky. And Trubisky is the one person that, even though, again, I will never forgive the Bears for drafting him above Deshaun Watson, Um <laughs> I think he does deserve another chance. Uh, I think Matt Nagy and that organization and w- w- his office that he ran, I think it proved that Trubisky may not be as bad as he looked at times. Um, again, he was pretty much a one-year wonder, uh, got hyped up, got drafted. So he probably needed a little bit more time to, to, to build. So I think the, I think the Steelers like him. Um, and I think... If they don't move up to get a quarterback, I think you're right. I think they need to reestablish the offensive line. Uh, Najee Harris, beast, was their offense last year. Roethlisberger couldn't throw it past five yards. Um, So I think even if Trubisky isn't a great quarterback, if he can at least make 10 to 15-yard throws and open up Harris getting open a little bit more, not having nine dudes in the box, um, I think that team probably makes the playoffs again. Uh, I think the Ravens bounce back. You know, I don't think they're going to be as bad as they were because of the, all the injuries. Uh, Lamar's probably going to play more games. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's a great pick for the Steelers there. So at 21, <clears throat> New England Patriots, Bill Belichick drafted Mac Jones, Alabama quarterback. 
if this guy's sitting there, I don't see how they don't take him. And most of you probably know, Jameson Williams, wide receiver, Alabama. I just don't see how they don't do it. Um, you know, their wide receiver core isn't as bad as the Falcons or the Saints, uh, but it's it's not the best. Um, they had some their tight ends. I like their tight ends. I like what they're doing over there with the tight ends. Uh, their running backs, you know, I like their their double-headed running backs. Um, but I think they need someone that if Mac Jones is obviously your guy, you need to give him some weapons. And so I think uh, you spent a lot of money in free agency for the first time as like the Patriots organization. You got a lot of good pieces on defense. You let J.C. Jackson walk. I don't think that's smart. That's my guy. I think he's the best corner in the league. Uh, I don't care what anyone says to me. I don't care about Jalen Ramsey. I care about J.C. Jackson. He a terp. So, anyway, 21, Jameson Williams, uh, YRC Alabama. That's who the Patriots should take here. When you look at how this Patriots offense is constructed, and you touched on it, they've got a couple of tight ends who can play. Uh, Hunter Henry, in particular, uh, was a guy that Mac Jones or McCorkle trusted in the red zone more than anybody. They've got a couple of solid running backs. They've got, like you said, decent receivers. You know, of course, Jacoby Myers, NC State guy. I like him. He's good in the slot, short range, 8 to 10 yard routes. The one thing that you would say that this Patriots offense is missing is that dynamic, big play, deep threat guy. When you look at Jamison Williams, this is a guy who for most of his career was about a 20 yards a catch kind of guy at Alabama. So if you trust McCorkle to get the ball down the field, and accuracy has been the thing everybody's talked about with Jones, if he can get that ball down the field to somebody like Jamison Williams, that changes the entire look of the Patriots' offense. It doesn't have to be all 15 and 16 play scoring drives. So I like that pick to change the complete complexion of what they've got on going on with New England. So now we're at pick 22. And full disclosure... I am a Raiders fan, and I just want to point out for a second that I took the even numbers in this draft. People might wonder how we decided on who went odd and who went even here. The Raiders had this pick at 22. So I was going to be the Raiders GM, which is my dream job. And then this pick got traded. But this pick is now Devontae Adams. I'll take that. So I just want to point out Devontae Adams at 22. That's the Raiders pick. I'm happy with it. Now, where does this leave the Packers? It leaves the Packers with Sammy, the week one goat Watkins, and almost nothing else at wide receiver. So you need an option at receiver for when Sammy Watkins pulls a hamstring, strains a groin, whatever he's going to do, sprains an ankle, sometime around mid-October. And so with this pick... The Green Bay Packers will take Traylon Burks, a wide receiver out of Arkansas. I don't care how good Aaron Rodgers is, and he's back-to-back MVP of the regular season. He, like anybody else, needs somebody to throw the football to. And you can't convince me that what they have right now is going to help him look good or continue to look like an MVP in the regular season for him. So Traylon Burks is the pick here. I like him because... Like I talked about earlier with Drake London, I like receivers who give quarterbacks a big margin of error. And Traylon Burks does some of what Devontae Adams does in the sense that separation is not the big thing with Burks' game. It's going and getting the football. So making those tough catches, making those 
back shoulder catches, making those catches over top of a defender. That's what Traylon Burks is going to give you. He's not a burner. He's not somebody that's going to fly down the field like Jamison Williams is, but he's somebody who's going to give you a solid target, make throws easier, and Aaron Rodgers is going to need some of that, especially as he starts to con- uh, as he continues to get up in age. you got to give him easier throws to make. Traylon Burks helps him with a big target, a reliable target, and that's the pick to start getting this Green Bay offense back to looking like one of the top offenses in the NFC. Green Bay has to take a wide receiver here. They have to, right? They haven't done it Aaron Rodgers' whole career. They have, even Devontae Adams, second-round pick. They have to take a wide receiver here. I just, they have to. If they don't, it will be the greatest troll of all time to Aaron Rodgers for making them wait months and months and months and then throwing the game against the Saints week one. That There's no way they don't take a receiver here. I, if they don't, okay. But, you know, I, they just have to. Um so the next pick here for me, 23 Arizona Cardinals. Actually, I had a lot, I had a hard time with this pick. Um, you know, I think the Cardinals could go a lot of different ways. Uh, I feel like their season was a definite big disappointment with how it started. Um, that has been proven by their head coach, though. Always starts off hot, even when he had Patrick Mahomes in college. Uh, and could never seal the deal. So I don't know if this is going to be a uh, NFL thing for him as well. You know, I'm not a huge Cliff Kling Kingsbury fan. Um, you know, I'm just not. So anyway, he has, he's had Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray. I think I could be a head coach with Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray. Hey, guys, go out there and throw the ball. Win me some games. Thanks. Use your amazing athletic abilities to get it done. Like, I, I just, it is what it is, right? Everyone's looking for the hot, young, white, offensive-minded coach. Um which is sad, but it's the truth, and that's why the NFL is having all these issues with all these rules. But um, so for me, again, I'm just taking best player available. It's another Georgia defenseman. Uh, it's Devontae Wyatt. J.J. Uh, Watt's getting older, and I know he was injured again, and he played through injury, and I commend him for being a warrior and giving me some of the best defensive football I've ever seen in my life when he was with the Texans. But um, I know they have a lot of younger guys on the line, uh, but I just think Devontae Wyatt, again, coming from that Georgia defense, uh, you know, and I know Jordan Davis was the main D tackle there, but I think Wyatt is a guy that can you can plug and play day one. I don't think there's going to be time for him to have it to sit behind anybody. I think he's an instant contributor. Um, that defense needs help, though. That, that, that conference is going to be high-octane, uh, which is weird to say about the NFC West, but... Um, the Rams are reloading somehow. They just keep getting people. Uh, if Debo stays with San Francisco, that offense, depending on what happens with Garoppolo and Trey Lance, I love Debo. And I think he could have easily been MVP just with the kind of season he had. Um, you know, Kittle stays healthy. That offense is scary. So Arizona, you have Kyler Murray. You have Hopkins. You drafted a wide receiver last year like you know, this is your time. You re-signed Connor. He had a great year, bounce back year for you at running back. You got to go defense here. You got it. You got to sure up. You know, going up against Cooper Cup, potentially Odell coming back to the Rams. You know, they got Allen Robinson. Um, it's ridiculous. That offense is going to the Rams' offense. If Stafford plays how he keeps playing, is ridiculous. Just on paper. Um, Sean McVay, great offensive coach. So I think here you have to go defense. And for me. It was between Devontae Wyatt, 
Kyrie Elam or Devin Lloyd. Um, and I'm just going with Wyatt uh, just so you can stop the run. You can you can have a little bit of a presence at the in the trenches here. So that's why I went with him. You know, I'm a big fan of defense, and I've talked a couple of times about seeing how defense is being more or less outlawed slowly but surely in football. And so it, it saddens me to see that. But to see Georgia's defense last year, and I have to give them one more shout-out, it just, just warmed my heart to see a team have that kind of defense in this era of football. And Devontae Wyatt was a key part of that. He was the disruptor on that defensive line up the middle. And we've seen, obviously, with Aaron Donald, a guy who could get defensive, not just defensive MVP, but overall MVP votes with the impact that he can have on games. You see, when you have an elite disruptor in the middle of your defense, that can change the entire complexion of your team, let alone your defense. And so for somebody like Devontae Wyatt to be sitting there, I do think he's a great value in this spot. I think Arizona would be happy to have him. And the bottom line is, between, like I said, the Rams with their offense, you still got to deal with Brady. You still got to deal with Rodgers. I think you just need somebody. If you're going to get over the hump, okay, we know that the Cardinals are good enough to make the playoffs. If you're going to get over the hump and actually do something in the playoffs, you're going to need a guy like this somewhere on the roster. Now we're going to move over to America's favorite team at 24, the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> and, you know, Dallas is a team that every year they're kind of mocked to do whatever the sexy thing is, the Johnny Manziel, whatever the flashy name is. And for the most part, they've actually shot away from that, and they've made kind of solid picks. And I'm going to keep that trend going here. I'm going to take... One of the more, in my opinion, sure-fired prospects in this draft, and I'm going to take Tyler Linderbaum, center out of Iowa. Now, in my opinion, the Cowboys have never successfully replaced Travis Frederick, who was one of the best centers in the game a few years ago, but unfortunately had, had a condition that caused him not to be able to have much of a career in terms of longevity. So they've had to go away from him. They've struggled up the middle. And if you don't believe me, just look at Ezekiel Elliott and his yards per carry over the last few years. He has not had the same type of road grading offensive line that he had at one point, and his performance has suffered from it. And to a lesser extent, Dak Prescott's performance at times against some of these better defenses has suffered from not having that key, steady, dominant presence in the middle like they had with Travis Frederick. When I look at Linderbaum, I see a guy who can actually replace Frederick and be just about as good, maybe as good, of a center. The center position overall is not all that highly valued. I think Linderbaum is one of the top ten prospects in this class, but he plays a position that is not a marquee position, so I expect him to fall some in this draft. If the Cowboys can get him at 24, I think they walk away from the first round feeling much better about an offense that was, quite frankly, disappointing last year. Yeah, I think uh, Dak also kind of gets some of the unfair blame a lot for being a black quarterback um, and saying that everything's his fault. Uh, you know, why can't he do this? Why can't he do that? You know, he came back from a devastating injury. Uh, I think a lot of people need to give him a little bit of uh, grace with that. But you know what? He suited up and decided to play. So, you know, he does deserve uh, a fair shake of the criticism. 
I just love, though, uh, when Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or someone, you know, uh, doesn't get time or gets sacked a lot, which those guys normally don't because they're smart enough to throw it away or do that. You know, they need a better offensive line. They needed this. They needed that, right? They never say that about the black quarterbacks. No, you know, use your athleticism. Get out of the pocket. It doesn't matter about the offensive line. But I think this is a great pick. Uh, I'm 100% with you. Uh, Frederick was a beast. And um, if they could replace that uh, with Pollard and Elliott as well, uh, you know, double, double-headed double backfield. Um, and then with the weapons that they have on offense, I feel like, you know, give a quarterback some time, they're going to make plays. Give any NFL quarterback enough time to find an open guy, they're going to make plays. So um, I hate that excuse for a lot of the white quarterbacks, but that's just the truth. It's the, it's it's so dumb to hear people say, oh, blah, blah. Like, if you give any NFL quarterback time to throw the ball, they're going to make a play, right? So um, I think shoring up any offensive line is always a great thing to do for an offense that struggled. Um, with pick 25, I got the Buffalo Bills. Um, thank you, Buffalo, Josh Allen, uh, Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, for giving me one of the greatest playoff games I've seen in years. Um, I just want to say thank you. Sad that someone had to lose. Uh, Buffalo, you definitely should have won. I'm sorry. I don't know if it was coaching or what happened there with the special teams and then the kickoff, and we're not going to delve into that because uh, this is a mock draft. But thank you for giving me as a sports fan one of the greatest games I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, I wish that was the AFC Championship game. I really do. Um, but here, Buffalo, I think they're looking for corner. Tredavious White's my guy. Love Tredavious White. I think he's a great cornerback in this league. Um, I think that game against Kansas City, though, just realized Buffalo had the best defense last year in the league. They lost a couple pieces of free agency, uh, like every team does. So I think Kyrie Elam sitting here, cornerback from Florida, to put on the opposite side of Tredavis White, to pair with that defense that was already great last year, um, I think that's going to spell trouble for the league. Uh, so if I'm the Bills and I'm sitting here and he's available, I'm taking Elam uh, from Florida. I'll quickly echo those sentiments about uh, last year's classic playoff game between the Chiefs and the Bills. That's one of the most exciting games that I've seen, regular season or postseason, and it was that that greater of a game just by virtue of what was on the line being a playoff game. So that, that was awesome to see. I'm with you on that hundred percent. And when you look at Buffalo's defense, like you said, it was one of the best defenses around, if not the best for a large portion of the season. And yet in this league, which is a pass happy league, you can't have too many corners. So even if somebody looks and says, oh, a corner may not be a pressing need in Buffalo, well, look at their roster. Their roster is pretty complete even after losing some pieces. But it's hard to say a team's going to go wrong with taking another corner to help their secondary because you have to be able to get through Mahomes. You have to be able to get through Burrow what Cincinnati's doing. You have to be able to get through so many high-powered offenses, and that's, you know, without even factoring in, you know, Lamar Jackson, if he bounces back to form. Justin Herbert, if he gets a little better and his weapons continue to uh, gain that chemistry with him and he continues to get improvement on the offensive line. You've got so many high-powered offenses, and we haven't even touched on, like, Miami and the potential that offense has. You've got to be able to stop these teams. And so you, if you can get another corner, I don't care what your defense looks like. <laughs> That's never a bad thing. So now we're going to move forward. The 26th pick belongs to the Tennessee Titans. 
And this is another team that has a pretty good roster overall. There's some spots you look at and say they could use a little more depth, but overall things look pretty solid. One position that they did lose out on is inside linebacker. Uh, Rashawn Evans, they lost him in free agency. They lost Jion Brown from that defense last year. So I think they're a little light when it comes to the inside linebacker position. And that's why with this pick, the 26th pick, the Tennessee Titans will take Devin Lloyd, linebacker out of Utah. I look at Lloyd and I see a complete player. I see a guy who is not going to be a liability in coverage, but is going to be a force in the run game, a true three-down linebacker who, in my opinion, can play any linebacker position in any scheme. So you have that going for you. He's another one who did not test all that well athletically. If Devin Lloyd was a four or five flat guy, there's no question in my mind he'd be a top five, top ten pick. So if you take Lloyd here, if he does start to slip in the draft because of concerns about, oh, he's not the, the best raw athlete out there, I think you get a steal with getting Lloyd at the 26th pick. And for Tennessee, in my opinion, they're getting the best player on the board and filling their biggest need, which is something that you don't see often at this point in the round. So this would be a great situation for the Titans if it broke this way. Devin Lloyd, I, I, I like him a lot. I'm with you. I think, uh, you know, the combine's great for some of the guys who don't get recognition on the national stage, but I think it hurts a lot of guys. Uh, even Larry Fitzgerald, everyone's complaining about his 40 time. Did anyone watch the Super Bowl when he ran away from the entire Pittsburgh Steelers defense down the middle of the field? I honestly don't care how fast you can run in a tank top and some shorts. Troy Apke, you know, blazing speed, as Deion Sanders said. I can't believe that white boy just ran that fast. But once you put the pads on, once you're in the grass, once you got the cleats on, once you're trying to cut and make plays and actually play football, you're not running on a track. You're not running in shorts in a tank top. It's a lot different. It's a lot, lot different. And I think Larry Fitzgerald is a great example of that terrible 40 time. And he burned the entire Steelers defense on a slant route. So in the Super Bowl. So, you know, I'm not too. And he almost. And he came milliseconds from chasing down uh, James Harrison. James Harrison. So, you know, uh, and if he didn't have to run out of bounds and through half the coaching staff, he probably would have done it. Um, Anyway, so I like that pick for the Titans. Uh, Tannehill really disappointed me in the playoffs, so I wouldn't be surprised if the Titans, if a quarterback's sitting there that they like, uh, I would not be surprised if they took a quarterback as well. Um, again, that's if there's someone sitting there that they really, really like in this draft. But Lloyd at 26, to me, is a no-brainer as well. Um, my pick, 27, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, and for me, I feel like this pick, uh, because they're going to just run through the NFC South, I don't think there's going to be anybody challenging them this year, is David Ojabo from Michigan, the edge. Um, I think even if he's not completely healthy to start the season, I just think what he was doing before the injury, um, I just think it's a no-brainer pick for me. He, you give him the, Especially if they're not re-signing JPP. Uh, they have a lot of guys on that defense they haven't re-signed. And they need someone coming off the edge. And I think if he gets fully healthy in football shape by week 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, any of those weeks, get him ready for the playoffs, get him ready for the run. Um, I just think it's a no-brainer for me. You're going to need someone pressuring the quarterback. As we saw, Stafford to Cooper Cup down the middle of the field after Tom Brady brought the Buccaneers back. 
Um, actually, that defense brought the Buccaneers back. But anyway, Stafford Trotton tried to give the game away. But um, you need someone who can get after the quarterback. You need pressure. And I think, again, even with the injury, I think he would be, again, without the injury, I think he's a top 10, top 15 pick easily. I think the injury's going to bring him down a little bit. And I just think that this is a great spot for him to land if if Tampa Bay takes him. Fully agree with your assessment on especially that division. That division, you look at the Panthers, they're in flux. They don't know what they want to do at quarterback. Their coach is in hot water. You look at the Falcons, they have an offense that's just embarrassing for an NFL team to put on the field as far as I'm concerned. And you look at the Saints, they're in a period of transition. They're still trying to figure out what the long-term succession plan is is uh, for Drew Brees. I mean, Jameis Winston is there, but they, they haven't committed to him. So you've got three teams really in flux there. So Tampa Bay can have that luxury of saying, you know what, even if we do only go 10-7 and seven or something like that, we can still win this division. And for a guy like Ojabo to be able to come in there and take his time, because I think that's a key. You know, you don't want to rush a guy back from an Achilles tear. He can get back before the season's over because of, you know, the advancements in sports medicine and whatnot. Uh, this is a team in the Buccaneers that drafted Joe Tryon Shoenka last year. They're trying to get younger at that edge position, and I think when you put him with Ojabo, now you've got something for the future for when you do move on from the Shaq Barrett's and JVP's of the world. So now we are at pick 28, and the Green Bay Packers are back on the clock. Uh, so what I did here is I just kind of looked at the board and said, okay, what's, what's the value pick here? Uh, they already addressed the receiver at pick 22. And again, to your point, and I'll stress it one more time, but picks at 22 and 28, they got to break your mold. You can't say this year we're not taking a receiver. If they don't do it at 22, you got to do it at 28. Assuming they take a receiver at 22, you have more flexibility with the pick at 28. With this pick, I am taking the Kobe Dean linebacker from Georgia. And I'm taking him because I love his range at the linebacker position. Uh, he didn't test at the combine. He didn't test at pro day. But if you watch games, you know how fast he is. You don't need to see him run at the combine. His sideline to sideline speed stood out again in a loaded defense with a bunch of guys that could get sideline to sideline. Dean was the guy getting to the edge first. So he always impressed me and stood out on the field. And so you put him... Next to Devondre Campbell, who had something of a breakout year in Green Bay. I uh, look at Chris Barnes at that other inside linebacker position, and I see a decent player, but a guy who I don't necessarily want to start. I like him more as a depth piece. I think you throw the Kobe Dean in there, let him add some speed, some juice to that defense. And, oh, by the way, from the linebacker position, he's a pretty good pass rusher, and the Packers are going to need more of that as they try to help replace the Darius Smith in this production. So, you get a kind of two-for-one special, a three-down linebacker who is very good at rushing the quarterback from the interior. And I think that pick helps the Packers, again, stay afloat in a conference where to get past the very top teams, you are going to need to make stops at some point. I think Dean helps you get you there. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I saw you make this pick when we were doing the mock draft, and um, I honestly think Packers could go two wide receivers. I would not be shocked if at 22 and 28, if two receivers that they really like are sitting there, um, I'm, I would not be shocked if they took two wide receivers. Uh, again, uh, right now, their best receiver is Sammy Watkins, like you said. 
Um, will he be healthy past week four, five, six? And I love Sammy Watkins. If he ever stayed healthy, I think he would have been one of the best receivers in the game. But he just, unfortunately, you know what happens with some athletes. They just can't get past injuries. Um, every time he's been on the field, he's produced. It's just being on the field. Um, so we'll see what happens there. You know, Alan Lazard's still there. And, again, you know, that's pretty much your your clash. I mean, you got Amari Rodgers. They didn't play him much last year as a rookie. Um, so I would not be shocked if they took two wide receivers. And I'm kind of foreshadowing my pick here at 29 with the Kansas City Chiefs, um, which was actually funny that we both got to draft for the same team back-to-back. Um, and I don't know where you would have gone if you had 29. I don't know what I would have done at 30. But uh, the reason I'm saying that, because if he's sitting there for the – if I'm the Packers – um, I think he has the potential to be one of the best receivers in this class. I've got to see him in person at Maryland Stadium and him beat up on the Terps. Uh, I got to watch him a lot with the Terps being in the Big Ten now, and that's Jahan Dotson, wide receiver, Penn State. He, to me, watching his game speed in the stadium once, his, once he catches the ball, I just think he has the potential to be the next, you know, high caliber wide receiver in the NFL. Um, I don't want to say Tyreek Hill. I don't want to say Jalen Waddle. I think those guys, you know, are just amazing at what they do. But I think he has the potential uh, to be there. And I think going to the Chiefs would be a per- – or the Green Bay, I think, would work out well for him either way. To have Rodgers or Mahomes throwing to you coming into the NFL, I don't think you could fall in a better spot. So um, at 29, Kansas City Chiefs, Andy Reid taking another weapon for that offense after losing uh, weapons. Um, I'm not sold on Juju, um, but they lost to Marcus Robinson. They lost, you know, Tyreek Hill. And so I think you got to replace them, and I think Dotson is the one to do that. This was an interesting part of the draft. Like you said, with the Chiefs picking back-to-back and us kind of having to feed off of each other to see what happens with these picks. Uh, I certainly would have considered Dotson at 29. Uh, Reason being, you know, sometimes you get caught up in losing a top-tier wide receiver, somebody like a Tyreek Hill, and the idea is we're going to replace them one for one. Good luck with that. There's only a handful of these true number one change the complexion of an offense type of guys. But there's another approach, an approach that the Patriots used for years, and that's to say, okay, we may not have that guy at wide receiver, but we're going to have a bunch of A minus B plus type of receivers who can get the job done, and you can't key on one. And if you have a lot of those guys, that's a tough offense to handle. So if you throw a guy like Dotson in with Smith Schuster, who I am higher on, higher on than most and you put him in with Marquez Valdez-Scanling, now you've got maybe not top-tier receivers, but you've got good receivers. And if you can throw three or four effective receivers out there, that for a quarterback as good as Mahomes, that should be enough. So I like that pick because you do make the offense at least more versatile and more unpredictable. So now that we've got the wide receiver need taken care of, this team needs to focus on some defense at 30, in my opinion. You look at what happened against Cincinnati, both in the regular season and the playoffs. You could not get a stop when you needed it. You needed a bailout to beat the Chiefs because you couldn't stop Josh Allen and Gabriel Davis. This team, on top of that, lost 
Tarvin Matthew, you did go and get another safety, but it's hard to replace the honey badger. And when you look at Kansas City's defense, they did make some progress through the year. At the beginning of the year, they were terrible defensively because they had Chris Jones on the outside trying to make up for a lack of a pass rush out there. That made them worse. Chris Jones needs to be on the inside for him to be most effective, for that defense to be most effective. But if you're going to leave Jones inside, you got to have somebody on the outside, somebody besides Frank Clark. That's why they needed Melvin Ingram last year. They got a bit of a boost from him. I don't know if they're going to bring him back. So if they don't, or even if they do, still go and get another edge player. And for me, that edge player is going to be George Karloftis, a edge player from Purdue. Again, not the most athletic guy, but more athletic than he gets credit for. He gets off the ball pretty well. He's one of those relentless players who is going to eventually get to his spots and make plays in the backfield. I like him for this team. I like him as a complimentary rusher. I wouldn't like him as my primary rusher, but feeding off of a presence like Chris Jones, feeding off of Frank Clark, I think he's the perfect fit in this situation. You put him in Kansas City, now you've got rushers that you have to respect on both sides, and that's what they're going to need in order to get the respect from these offenses who feel like in the playoffs they could run through that Kansas City defense. Yes, and at 29 uh, with Kansas City, I was going back and forth between defense. Um, There really wasn't a corner sitting there that I would have taken at 29. Um, There might be, but, you you know, I just think, you know, you've had McCole Hardman for a few years, and now that Tyreek Hill's not there, is he going to step up and be what you wanted him to be when you drafted him? Uh, does MVS stay healthy? Does Juju stay healthy? So that's why I went Dotson. Um, I think if Karloftis, Karloftis falls to 30, I think that's a hell of a value pick um, at 30. I just If he falls to 30, I think the Chiefs will be really happy. Um, I could see them going defense with both picks. Um, it's Andy Reid, though. I can see him going offense with both picks. So, you know, um, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think I think they should definitely look at defense for both those picks. And, again, however the draft shakes out, um, but how it shook out for us, uh, I think that they're coming away well and probably be in the AFC Championship game again. Who knows? Um, all right, at 31, the surprise of the year, Cincinnati Bengals. No one saw them making the run that they did in the playoffs. Um Joe Burrow played pretty pedestrian through the first couple games, and then when he needed to show up, he sh- he showed up, and and, and I, I respect him. He was getting hit a lot last year. Um, coming back from the ACL, uh, you know, mad props to him. Um, Jamar Chase, beast, you know, T. Higgins, beast when they needed him. Um, you know, even, even Tyler Boyd, you know, that offense is crazy. Like Joe Mixon, like that offense is crazy. It's crazy to think about – Everyone writing off Chase last year when they drafted him. Again, I don't think people give enough grace to athletes, and I understand that they're getting paid millions to play a game. But if you take a year off from something that is, you know, muscle memory and and being in shape and being training speed, people don't realize that. Like that's why people like are sitting here shitting on Dak, and it's just like, you know, but you don't know what his leg feels like after he throws the ball. You don't know like what. And, you know, who knows? I hope Dak comes back this year and has a hell of a year and, and shuts everyone up. Um, you know, those those injuries, taking time off, that impacts you. And Chase came out and proved all the doubters wrong. I had him really high on my board last year. Julius and I talked about this last year. I, I thought it was ridiculous that people were, were putting Chase down so much. I, I had him as offense rookie of the year. That was my bold prediction last year. And look what happened. So I'm just saying, like, 
you just you have to have a human element to the game as well. And I understand people look at these athletes as not human, but they are. You take a year off from something, you're not going to be great coming off. And so I'm glad he had a great year. I'm glad him and Bro have that connection. So for me, Cincinnati Bagels in here, no-brainer. Uh, Zion Johnson, guard, Boston College. Um, again, offensive line for the Chiefs, I mean for the Bengals, is probably the most important thing. Um, you do not want Burrow taking all those hits. You do not want him getting beat up. Um, even last play of the Super Bowl, they showed it over and over again. Who was running wide open? If if Burrow could have gotten another second or two, we might be having a different conversation right now. Um, yes. So offensive line, uh, huge need for the Bengals. If Zion Johnson's sitting there at 31, snatch him because you need someone like that on your team. All great points about Cincinnati. This is a team that knew last year uh, they needed some offensive line help. I didn't think their offensive line was a complete disaster, but it wasn't good enough. And yet, I felt like, same way you did, they should take Jamar Chase last year. It is rare that you have a receiver who's that good, who has that much potential, who you already know and gels with your quarterback. You didn't have to guess that. You, you saw it in probably the greatest college offense we've ever seen. So I think that pick had to happen. But what that pick did do, and again, you and I agree, they made the right pick there. But now you still need offensive line help. They went into this free agency period and immediately snatched every offensive lineman they could. We'll take this guy from Tampa. We'll take that guy from Dallas. We are snatching up offensive line. They made no secret. This is what we're going to do. We're not going to pretend we don't have a need here. And I, I respect them for it. I respect them for, for opening up the the, page, the the pocketbook and saying, hey, let's go ahead and address this. And so with Zion Johnson, I just think that's the next step in the process. You just They just reshuffle the deck entirely with the offensive line and say, hey, what, what happened last year? Like I said, what happened last play of the Super Bowl will not happen again. So I like the move there because that shows a continued commitment to what this offseason has already been about for Cincinnati. So now we've reached that time. Last pick of the first round, and the Detroit Lions are on the clock. And the Detroit, Detroit Lions just celebrate this moment because without trades, they'll never have the 32nd pick in the draft because you got to win the Super Bowl to have that pick. So I'm just gonna, that, that's my bold prediction. Detroit will never have the 32nd pick outside of trades. But this year, they do have it. And what I like about the 32nd pick here is you go back a few years ago when Lamar Jackson criminally fell in the draft. Baltimore went back into the first round to get him. Why? At that 32nd pick, you get that fifth year with your quarterback for the cheap. And you see these contracts these quarterbacks are signing, including the guy Detroit has now. It's not easy to extend quarterbacks. It's not fun to extend quarterbacks. It's going to cost some money. So if you can get an extra year of a quarterback at that 32nd pick for that cheap price, that's a big difference between drafting him at 32 and drafting him with Detroit's next pick at 34. So this is where I want my quarterback in the future because of that extra year. And with this pick, I am going with Desmond Ritter, quarterback out of Cincinnati. I do think Ritter is the third best quarterback in this trend, in this class behind Willis and behind Pickett. I do think it would be best if he got to sit for at least the majority of the season and really refine his skills. I see another quarterback who 
needs some work, but does have some raw skills that I really, really like. He's a pretty solid passer. Again, another guy with a huge arm. He's got to refine it a little bit, but it's better than he probably gets credit for. A guy who's a solid runner. He's, he's not going to wow you with his running like Willis will, but he's, he's solid. He can be that mobile quarterback in these new age offenses. He's certainly more mobile than Jared Goff. I think a better passer in Jared than Jared Goff, or at least a better passer now than Goff was at the same age. And, you know, with Goff in place, you can still play golf for half the season, maybe even almost the whole season. So I like the fact that you can get a quarterback here, not rush him in before he's ready like we saw last year with Zach Wilson in particular. But, you know, even with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields having to fight these uphill battles as rookies, you get to let Ritter sit, let that offense settle. And then when you feel like Ritter is ready, you can bring him in and officially start your succession plan moving on from Jared Goff. So here I'm taking a quarterback. Uh, I think Detroit will take a quarterback in this spot. I don't know which one, but this is the choice I would make if Desmond Ritter makes it to 32. This would be an easy selection for me. Yeah, I think that's an interesting pick. Um, I think a lot of people uh, are interested to see what Detroit does. You know, they got two, and they have 32. Are they going to try to pair 32 with, uh, you know, the the first pick in the second round and move up in the first round? And then... But they're not two pieces away. They're not one piece away. So, you know, do they trade out of number two? Is there not something they see there at number two that they feel like is number two worthy? Again, if Aiden Hutchinson falls to two, I think they're taking him. I think he's going to sell sell tickets. Detroit guy, uh, Michigan guy, you know, I think, I think that's a no-brainer if he falls there. Um, and again, as I said when I had the Jags, I'm not taking – I'm not taking Hutchinson first. I just think you blew that defense up already, Jacksonville. Y'all had a great defense. You got Blake Bortles to the playoffs. Now it's time to build around your offense. That's the way you're going. You drafted Trevor Lawrence and Etienne last year for a reason. I know he got hurt, but now it's time to build around the offense, in my opinion. Um, So I think Ritter there is definitely an interesting choice if he's sitting there and they really like him take him i mean you got the next pick in the draft so you could make him the second round in the second round if you want to um but uh they detroit needs a lot so whoever is highest on your board uh at 32 and 33 you got to take who you think you're going to be able to play get experience is going to help the team win um so yeah i think ritter is a very interesting choice there and but i'm not mad at it either i think i think it's a it makes a lot of sense because they don't I don't think golf is the solution personally. Yeah, just to follow up with what you said about Detroit, I'll reemphasize because again, this goal was a GM exercise here. It wasn't it wasn't a prediction type of draft. So I agree fully. I, I had Detroit at the number two pick. I took Kyle Hamilton there because of my philosophy on safeties. But with that said, I do believe that if Hutchinson doesn't go number one. If uh, Jacksonville takes the route you took and decides to protect Trevor Lawrence a little more, that Hutchinson's floor probably is the second pick. I think that sometimes we get a little too caught up in the whole hometown kid story and teams don't care about that as much as we'd like for them to think. But I think when you're a downtrodden franchise like the Lions, you more than most franchises need something 
to give your fans. And so if, if giving them that something is giving them arguably the best edge rusher in this draft, it's not like you're reaching if you're taking Hutchinson there. If you can get a guy who legitimately deserves to be in that spot and has the ties locally, I think you are making a difference with that pick both on and off the field. So I certainly think Detroit would love to make that pick. Kyle Hamilton is my pick, but the pick for Detroit. Again, if Hutchinson's available, and he just might be, because Jacksonville could go three or four different directions with that first pick. If Hutchinson's there, I do think the Lions rush up to Roger Goodell and say, make this happen. Great point. Again, uh, just want to reiterate what Julius said. This was our mock draft. Uh, it wasn't a prediction one. It wasn't like take this to FanDuel or DraftKings or you know ESPN and try to win a million bucks. This is just if we had control of the franchises, uh, this is what we would do. This is what we're seeing. Um, so, yeah, Kyle Hamilton, I know you're big on safeties, and that's probably your number one prospect in the draft, and I have no issues. I would have no issues if Detroit took them. I, I don't have issues if Detroit took five or six guys. You know, like they, they need them. Um, but uh, just to wrap up, so that's our mock draft. We only, we're only doing the first round. Um, but I just, you know, we want to say thank you for listening and uh, being a part of the podcast and, and letting us, you know, take a part of your day to listen to our thoughts and opinions. Uh, the final things I want to say about the draft is um, I got a couple of Terps that I'm, I'm rooting for to get drafted. Uh, they were my diamonds in the rough until they, you know, the athletic freaks that they are balled out at the combine, and now everyone's talking about them. But that's uh, Nick Cross and Chig Okonkwo. Those are my guys. Uh, Chig, uh, you know, really had a breakout season this year. And he's raw, but he has the athletic ability at tight end. And I hope they keep him at tight end to, uh, you know, I don't want to say Jimmy Graham-esque, but he, Jimmy Graham kind of came out of nowhere uh, and was kind of boxing people out and getting tons of touchdowns. Um, but I think if he goes to the correct situation, for example, say he goes fifth round to the Bengals. If he goes to Cincy with Burrow throwing in the ball in that offense – he has the opportunity to, to ball out. Uh, same with Nick Cross. Um, he's just an athletic freak at safety. I think he's going to be good wherever he goes. Um, and, you know, Maryland, because they've been bad for a while and haven't had a lot of the limelight, a lot of their guys get drafted late. I, I was shocked Diggs winning the fifth round when he did. I, I was screaming at my television. Um, I don't know if it's because the Raiders back in the day took Hayward Bay seventh or eighth overall and ruined Maryland picks for everybody else. But um, Maryland guys have, have had a bad rep for some reason, and they've balled out in the, in the NFL. DJ Moore, you know, I think people are like, we're not going to make the same mistake with Moore that we did with Diggs. Um, but, you know, we, have, we had a couple running backs, you know, do, do well in the NFL. We've had a lot of wide receivers come out and, and ball out. Torrey Smith, Moore, Diggs. Uh, Hayward Bay, if he didn't get drafted so high, I think he could have had time to develop and could have been a good wide receiver. Um, had a lot of random cornerbacks like Dexter McDougal, you know, just guys that J.C. Jackson, like they all, they're always overlooked, but they're solid players. So I'm really hoping Nick Cross and Chig go somewhere that fits them and they have a chance to, to blossom and, and show, you know, that just because we're not dominating and dominating the Big Ten. That's a hard conference. Uh, you know, the Maryland has, in my opinion, some of the best high school prospects that come out of this state. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad to see some of them staying home now because uh, of Coach Locks, and, and hopefully they, they, they show up in the NFL. 
Uh, so first off, just want to follow up on a uh, quick point. Uh, hey, shout out to shout out to the Terrapins. It's not my alma mater, but it's my state, so I root for them. Um, yeah, great points about both Oconquo and Cross. Those are two guys that could really help a team. Uh, guys you can get in the middle rounds, potentially. Well, in Oconquo's case, probably a day three. I think Cross is going to be a day two pick. I think they're both going to find homes and be solid. And uh, the example you used for Oconquo was uh, Cincinnati. Uh, Uzama has moved on. He did sign with the Jets. Mm. So there's an opening there that potentially... And again, to your point, if you put him, Okonkwo, in there with those weapons, you don't need to be a superstar day one. You can just take advantage of mismatches occasionally and still have a pretty big impact on that team. So, you know, I like that you shout out the Terrapins. I'm going to take this opportunity to shout out my Wolfpack guys. Um, NC State, that's my alma mater. I take great pride in that. I'm excited personally to see Iki Aquanu have an opportunity to go in the top ten. Top five, maybe even top one, Jacksonville, if you're listening. Uh, beyond him, we don't have a deep class this year, but uh, still a couple of guys I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, running back, Zonovan Knight, bam, Knight. He was uh, part of our two-headed monster our running back this year, and I enjoyed watching him play. I'm hoping that he can kind of catch on somewhere. He won't be a high pick because he's not – He's not the fastest, most explosive guy, most exciting athlete, but he has some versatility. He returned kicks for us, and my hope would be that he would be able to have the kind of impact that Khalil Herbert had with the Bears this year, a guy who can fill in and take on 15, 20 carries a game and be productive, a guy who can give depth to your backfield even if he's not a guy that you're going to center your backfield around. So I'm rooting for him. I'm looking forward to seeing where he gets drafted. And then uh, just for fun, I'm um, also keeping an eye on our punter, Trenton Gill. Now, you know, it's a punt. You know, you're not going to get all that excited. So I think there's an outside shot that Trenton gets drafted. Uh, A.J. Cole III is one of the best punters in the league right now, punter for the Raiders, punter out of NC State. So, you know, when you go to a school like NC State, kind of an underdog type of school, even though we're a Power 5 school, you kind of root for whatever you can get your hands on to root for. If we can be the punting dynasty of the NFL, I'll take it. So Cole's doing this thing now. I'm hoping Trenton Gill's next in line. And again, I've never really rooted for a punter before, but here we are. Well, hey, here's NC State becoming the punting dynasty of the NFL. I am pushing Maryland being the wide receiver you of the NFL. So I might be the only one in that boat, but hey, this is what I'm doing. So I, I, I support you 100%. Um, so yeah, that's our mock draft, guys. That's our little uh, preview into the 2022 NFL draft. It's Thursday. Um, you know, we're excited for it. And, you know, our next episode after that will be our reactions and uh, to the draft. And I hope you guys tune back in if you like the content. You know, again, we have a Facebook page, Two Guys, Four Balls Podcast. Uh, please follow us. We're going to be posting our mock draft there. Um, we're going to be posting all of our content uh, that we have, you know, in the future there as well. Um, you know, I love doing bold predictions. We're going to probably be doing some power rankings. Um, we're, there's going to be a lot of good content that's coming out of this podcast. And so we hope, you know, if you enjoyed, continue to subscribe, listen, um, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we really hope that you guys just, you know, appreciate the time we took out to do this. And we hope you guys continue to listen and enjoy it. I hope you guys had as much fun as we did uh, making this mock draft.
Thank you for listening to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast.